This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, we want to pick up tonight in our Bible study in 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to call your attention to verse number 19 as we get into the study for tonight. And so uh, I'm going to read for you verses uh, 18 to lead into verse number 19. That's where we left off last week, and we'll pick up here this evening. So Peter is writing, and the scripture says, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. And then our verse tonight, where we pick up verse 19, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. There's a couple of things about verse number 19 that I want to talk about. He's Peter is speaking about Jesus being a lamb without blemish and without spot. And under God's terms for forgiveness for his people in the Old Testament in the days of Moses... They were instructed to take a lamb without blemish and hold it up for 14 days to make sure that indeed it was a healthy animal, that it was not sick in any way, shape, or form. That animal had to be spotless. And at the end of the 14 days, if that lamb was proven to be acceptable for the sacrifice, then the priest, the high priest, would offer that animal for a sacrifice unto God on the Day of Atonement. It would be to ask God to cover the sins of the nation of Israel for the period of one year. And uh, this was done on the Day of Atonement. So Peter here, he's reflecting a little bit about the preciousness of the blood of Christ. We talked last week about that how in Acts chapter 20, verse number 28, the word talks about how that the church was purchased with God's own royal blood. And so Peter is emphasizing that it wasn't a cheap purchase by any means. It could not be purchased with gold or silver. And we took the time to give you the background of the story of Simon the sorcerer who tried to purchase the Holy Spirit. Peter rebuked him and he said, the, the word of God, the Holy Spirit is not for sale. And uh, we're very familiar with that story. I don't want to go into repetition with that tonight, but um, it kind of gives you the, uh, the cornerstone for where we are this evening. And so the point being with verse number 19 is this, that there was absolutely no other way for God to atone for the sin of the world than through the precious blood of his son, Jesus. And so I emphasize something tonight, and I want you to think about this truth, and that is this. Had there been any other way, because you remember Jesus, he narrowed this thing down to strictly about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes to the Father but by me. Think about this. When he said, I am the way. You've heard me say many times in my funeral services, especially that God's not the best way. He's not another way. He's the only way. And think about this. If there was any other way, I've heard more preachers say this probably in the last two years than I've ever heard them say before. And they, they phrase it like this in this, in this, uh, politically correct society that we are as a whole and not certainly not this church and God-fearing churches and churches and people and saints who believe the word of God, but by large, in a human secular world, by large people are saying this, preachers are saying this, that there are many roads that lead to God. And so what they're trying to say is that Jesus is not the only way. They were saying there are many paths. I've heard this more than I can almost stomach, but they say there are many paths to God. If that were the case, I promise you God would not have sacrificed his only begotten son in the most barbaric, brutal way if there were multiple ways to him. But when you narrow it down to what Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I am the way, the world rejects that. By large, the world rejects that. They don't want to hear that. A lot of preachers don't want to preach that anymore. That's not, that's not a social gospel, but it's the truth. It's the true gospel. And so I can assure you, especially with this verse here, verse number 19, that our redemption was paid with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. He was God's sinless, perfected lamb without blemish. And so there was no other payment for sin than the blood. And that's what Peter is emphasizing here in verse number 19. And then he says something here very interesting. And there's an there's a interesting word here in verse number 20. And I want you to see this. He said, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Who? Who is the who? In verse number 20, Peter is emphasizing that this who is none other than the Lord Jesus. The thing that I want to emphasize as we connect these verses together, and let's go back and read all three of these together here now. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. This is the thing that I want to emphasize on this part of the scripture tonight, and that is God was never taken by surprise when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Never. That did not come as a surprise to God. Before God even created Adam, before he created Eve, 
the Holy Trinity and way back in the eons, there, there's never been a time and a place where the thought where redemption had not been in the heart of God, had, had not been in uh, the, the purpose and plan of God it, because he's omniscient. And that means that God knows all things. So there has never been a time that God did not know all things. God never stumbled on anything. Nothing ever came to God by surprise because God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful because he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Nothing has ever come to God by the means of a surprise. God has never stepped back in panic. There's never been a place where God's tried to figure out what to do. He's always known what to do. And so the Holy Trinity, before man was created, before God took the dust of the ground and formed him into his own likeness and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, before that ever took place, the Holy Trinity of God already had the plan of redemption in place. In fact, there's a verse of scripture here that you might be interested in, and probably it's a good place to write it in the margin of your Bible here at verse number 20, and that's Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 8. I give you these scriptures a lot of times so that you can write in the margin of your Bible. That way, when you go back and read it in your own spare time, or you're sharing the word with a friend and you're going, or maybe even teaching it, you can go back and have a verse to cross-reference. But here in Revel in First uh, Peter 1.20, it's a good place to write Revelation 13.8. And the scripture says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's it's in reference to the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of life, look at this now, of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before Adam and Eve ever sinned, the Holy Trinity already had the plan of redemption in place, and it would require the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look at this part of verse number 20 but was manifest in these last times for you. I want you to look at that just for a moment, but was manifest in these last times for you. And that is talking about the gospel and Peter sharing the gospel, and he makes it a very vigorous part of his uh, writings to us, the scripture here in verse 20. But let me move on to verse number 21. The Bible says, who by him, again, talking about Jesus, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. One of the main points that I can share with you in this passage is this. Thank God the cross of Jesus was not the end of the story. And that's something that we can all rejoice in tonight. Because if the cross was the end of the story, then we would still all be in trouble. God was manifest in the flesh. As the word, look at this, the latter part of verse 20, but was manifest in the flesh. Yes, he was. And John 1.1 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. 
And if you read on a little farther in John chapter 1, verse number 14, the Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's what Peter is in reference to, but was manifest, made flesh in these last times for you. And so Jesus, he was born, he was prophesied to be born. The prophets prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. You read the book of Micah, Isaiah. The scriptures prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be born. And he, he was born, John 1, 1, John 1, 14. He fulfilled all of the Old Testament scriptures about him coming. We know that he was raised as a carpenter's son. We know that um, he was teaching doctors and lawyers and scribes when he was only 12 years old. Nothing much is mentioned from the time that Jesus was two years old to the time that he was 12 years old. Then we find him once again appearing in the scriptures when he was 12, teaching these great scholars of his day. By the way, let me emphasize something here. A lot of people believe this, that you have to be 12 before you can be saved. That's not in the Bible. That's not spiritual truth. The only conclusion that I can come to as even coming close to how they formed that doctrine is that Jesus resurfaces in the scripture when he was 12. And so this is where they get the age of 12. I have no earthly idea where that comes from, but I was saved when I was five. I will never forget it. You, maybe some of you were saved much later in life. The truth of the matter is, when we become aware of right and wrong, when we become aware of, of being accountable, we're old enough to be saved. I, that age differs from person to person. I, there's no set age in the Bible that so you have to be this age to be saved. That's, that's heresy, really. But the Scripture says this, that from the time he was Two, really, until the time he was 12. We don't, we don't see much at all about the Lord. And then he resurfaces at 12. And then from that point, from 12 to 30, we see nothing else about him in the Word. When he became 30 years old, the Word teaches us that he was baptized in the Jordan where his earthly ministry was launched. And then him turning the water into wine is his very first miracle. And then for the next three and a half years, we find so much about him. And so him manifesting in the flesh, he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He fulfilled all the Old Testament scriptures. He died on the cross. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. But let me emphasize that if, if the cross was all there was, we would be in trouble. The fact that he was placed in a borrowed tomb had nothing to do with our redemption. The prophecy that Isaiah gave along the thought tonight in chapter 5, verse 39, the Bible says, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. He was placed in the borrowed tomb of a rich man. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And so when his body was in the grave, 
he fulfilled this prophecy. Isaiah 5, verse 39. But again, the cross and the grave did not complete our salvation. There's a scripture in Psalms chapter 16, verse number 10, that says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. In my sermon this coming Sunday, I'm going to be preaching about the words of salvation. We're going to be talking about this place called paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's a very complicated, a very deep subject, and we're going to be talking about that. But again, the cross and the grave... If that's all there was, we would all still be in trouble. But thank God, three days later, God the Father raised God the Son from the dead. And this is, this is the, the glorious part of the gospel. You had to share this part, I'm sure, today with the people that you were talking to. Jesus is not just a byword. He's not dead. He's alive, and he was raised from the dead by God the Father, Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So you see, he had to be born as the prophets foretold. He had to live. He had to die. He was placed in the borrowed tomb as a fulfillment of Scripture. But none of that could seal the deal on, on grace and salvation. God the Father had to raise him from the dead. All right, now verse number 22. I want you to look at this. Well, look at verse number 21 again. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Verse 22. Seeing ye have purified... There's a couple of scriptures that I have underlined here, and I want to bring them out to your attention. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Let's talk a little bit about this. Because Peter now is directing our attention to the role of the Holy Spirit and the aspect of our sanctification. That's what this word purified is in reference to. It's in reference to our sanctification. So let me teach you something about sanctification tonight. Sanctification takes place multiple times in your life. It has to daily. You're justified one time. But let me say this about sanctification. There is a practical element to sanctification, and there is a positional aspect to sanctification. You need to know the difference between the two, between practical sanctification and a positional aspect of sanctification. So let me give you the positional aspect first. And this has to do with our standing before God as a believer in Christ. Because in Christ, there is nothing else to be completed. We are completed in Christ because of the gospel. The cross, the blood, and the resurrection, all of that completes us in Christ. And so our standing, our position before God in Christ 
our standing before him is made perfect because of the blood of Christ. We just dealt with the blood of Christ. It cannot be bought with money. Salvation cannot be purchased with, with earthly things. And so positionally now, this is what enables us to go to heaven because of our standing in Christ. We stand before him perfect through the blood of Jesus. Had it not been for the blood of Jesus, we could not go to heaven. So it is the blood, the gospel, our faith, our confession of faith. If we believe that God raised him from the dead and so forth, you know the gospel. Because of this, our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can go to heaven. So that's the aspect of positional sanctification. But then there is the practical element of sanctification. And this deals with our everyday earthly lives. So there's a big difference in positional and practical. Now, practical sanctification, this happens in our earthly lives. Let me give you the example. As a believer in Christ, that's what we're talking about here tonight. When we sin, let's say when we stumble, when we fall, when we succumb to any temptation of the world, when these things happen, we don't lose our salvation. In Christ, we know that we're not going to be perfect on this earth. In fact, the word says this, if any man thinketh he stand to take heed lest he fall. So none of us, none of us are going to be perfect. All of us are going to sin. And let me show you this. From time to time in the study already, I have given you scriptures on eternal security. Why we believe that. And there are numbers of scriptures that I could give you. And there's a place that I can park here just for a few moments tonight and elaborate on it as well. Because this has to do with our, our practical aspect of sanctification. In John chapter 10, I want you to see this in, chapter, in verse number 28 and 29. John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. And these words, if you have a red-lettered addition to your Bible, these are the words that Jesus spoke himself. And this is what he says. And I give unto them eternal life. And look at this very carefully. And they shall never perish. If you're witnessing to somebody that struggles with the assurance of their salvation, or they believe that you can be lost today and saved tomorrow and lost three times next week, saved twice next week. Listen, if that's the kind of discussion that you're having in a Bible setting, a study, you're sharing the gospel, use this passage. Look at it very carefully. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Not until they do the next thing wrong or until all their candles burn down. No. They shall never perish. Look at this. Neither shall any man. Now, that means, for example, there's nothing that you can do to unsave me, but I also have to be included in this any man aspect, which means this. There's nothing you can do to unsave me, and there's nothing I can do to unsave myself. 
once we have been justified and we have been sanctified positionally before God, and we have made, been made perfect in him because of the blood of Jesus, that positionally purifies us, it sanctifies us in our standing before God. But that has a very difficult thing that we have to deal with. That presents a very difficult thing for us to, to deal with in the everyday living of our lives because, yes, when we die, we will go to heaven. Absolutely. But we have to live in this world among many temptations, toils, and snares, and we're not going to be perfect. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to mess up. We're going to backslide. We'll slide up. We'll slide back. Our life will be like the children of Israel, be like a roller coaster. We'll be on fire for God today, and then we'll be under the juniper tree tomorrow. Maybe we'll be like Jeremiah who said, I'll never speak his name again. Listen, we're, we're like spiritual yo-yos. We're just up and down, up and down, all over the place. This is important. You look at the scripture. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. There's nothing that anything can do or any person can do to take us out of our sanctification, our position in God, in Christ, through the blood. Verse 29 here, my father which gave them me is greater than all. When I read that, I'm instantly reminded of 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But look at this, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And so we don't lose our salvation but those things, unconfessed sin, unconfessed, this is what we can lose. This is why we, we need to be sanctified every day. We need to, and that word means set apart from the world. Because here's what's happened to so many of us, including myself at times. When, when we do stumble, when we do fall, we slide back. We get ourselves in all of these circumstances. If we don't confess that, and if we don't get it right with God, we don't lose our salvation, but we can lose our peace. And we can lose our joy. And worse than that, we can lose our testimony. That's something to remember. Oftentimes, the assurance of our salvation we can lose. I have talked to many people in the past who have, for whatever reasons and circumstances, they found themselves in a spot in life where they were not, Teresa played a minute ago on the piano, Amazing Grace. They weren't singing Amazing Grace. They didn't even want to sing at all. They really wanted to withdraw and retreat. And here is the thing. We can lose our, our peace, we can lose our joy, we can lose our testimony, and if we're not careful, we can actually lose the assurance of our salvation. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can lose the assurance, and that is this. Something or someone, a demon or the devil, can make you think, even though you are positionally sanctified, you are positionally safe and secure 
in Christ before God because of the blood, something or someone can make you think that something way back in your past or something that you just cannot believe you said or did or thought has somehow watered down the blood and has made you a runaway from God and that you're no longer saved. There are lots of people tonight struggling with, am I really saved? Could I be saved after I did this? Could I be saved after I said this? Could I be saved after something like that entered into my mind? Listen, when you're saved, you're saved. You just read the scripture in John 10. But the devil can do things that makes you think that you're not saved. So unconfessed sin can make you lose your peace, your joy, your testimony, and oftentimes the assurance of your salvation. we got to stop here tonight. We're out of time. People are walking through the lobby, and it's ready, I think, to uh, end this part of the study. We'll pick up here, Lord willing, next, next uh, Wednesday night with verse number 21. Let me reread that scripture for you again. Or verse 22, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Well, these are some glorious truths we've talked about tonight. Amen. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of the service. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.